Hello, and welcome to Remarks and Reflections, a podcast offering insights into topics that are important to the Hillbrook community and the broader worlds of education and parenting. I'm your host, Head of School Mark Silver, and I invite you to join us for what we hope are lively conversations about a whole range of ideas and issues that connect with our vision to inspire children to achieve their dreams and reach beyond themselves to make a difference in the world. In this first episode of the 2021 school year, I am excited to speak with Associate Head of School, Colleen Schilly, and our new school counselor, Jenna Lyons. Jenna is a licensed marriage and family therapist with a BA in psychology from the University of Massachusetts and an MS in human development and family studies from the University of Rhode Island. Prior to joining us at Hillbrook, Jenna has worked in a variety of settings, including public and private schools, camps, social groups, and private practice. She has key experience with social emotional learning programs at Hillbrook, including responsive classroom, social thinking, and zones of regulation, and she is eager to collaborate with other members of the program leadership team to provide academic and behavioral supports to students. Jenna has joined us at a particularly challenging moment for children and families, a time when her expertise is needed more than ever. She, Colleen, and our other members of our team have been thinking a lot recently about how best to support children and families during the upcoming transition back to school. So I want to say hello both to Jenna and Colleen. Welcome. Hi, Mark. Thanks, so glad. Thanks, thanks for joining me on this first podcast of the year. Um, so Colleen, before um, we, we uh, bring Jenna uh, into the conversation, I, I did want to start by asking you to share a bit about the role we see Jenna playing at the school. Um, you know, we made a decision last year to move to a full-time counselor role, and then we were so lucky to get Jenna to fill it. And so maybe talk a little bit to how we see Jenna supporting children, families, and teachers in the year ahead. Absolutely. Um, you know, we we know that children need three things in order to fully access their educational experience. Um, they need a sense of belonging. They need to feel significant in their learning and in their school experience. And they need to have a sense of fun. Um, and these three things um, really coexist alongside with sort of mental and emotional health. And the role of the school counselor is critical in supporting the health and wellness, not just of students, but also of, uh, of the adults in the community, the teachers, the parents. Um, and up until this moment, we've had a part-time school counselor, which has been a huge gift to the school. Um, but as our school continues to evolve, and certainly as we've looked at and experienced the events of the past six months, uh, the opportunity to bring on Jenna full-time um, and have that expertise with us um, fully is, is a huge um, a huge gift and a huge next step for the school as we continue to prioritize children's um, social emotional health and growth, knowing that um, as they have those pieces really solidly in place, um, they'll be able to fully access the academic and educational components of their school experience. Um, and so Jenna's well positioned with her skill set and her experience to support that relationship building between students and between students and adults that will be, um, as it always is, not just this year, critical to the success of the community this year. Thanks, Colleen. And certainly as, as our audience is can hear, and I think as Jenna knows, we are so excited, Jenna, um, to, to have you here. Um, so you've entered at a really difficult moment for, for communities across the country, and including Hillbrook. Um, and, and clearly one of the first challenges that you are likely to hear about is um, trying to help families and children transition to school. So as people know, we are starting the year in, a, in learning mode two, which is a fully distance learning program which is different from starting on campus. Um, so what advice do you have for families trying to help children start off the year on a positive note? 
Um, well, first, I just want to say thank you. Um, um, I'm really excited to be a part of the Hillbrook community um, and to get to know all the families and students this year. Um, and it is an interesting time to be starting. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty right now for everybody. And we know that kids really like predictability because it makes them feel safe and secure. So the question right now for us as adults is to think about, you know, since we can't control for that predictability, the world, um, it, it, we, we can't control it. What can we do for, for our kids? Um, so, you know, to start, I think we need to try to create as much predictability in our homes as we possibly can. Um, so that, that might look like designating like one spot for remote learning every day and creating a routine where kids get up in the morning, they have breakfast, brush their teeth, get dressed, um, and then they go to that space to log on. Um, I think having kids be a part of creating that is really important. So they have some ownership. So for older kids, you know, that might be asking them what, you know, tell them about your proposal and what you think and ask for their input. You know, what do they think is going to be challenging? What ideas do they have? Um, maybe they get to choose when, you know, what they do or when their breaks are um, and designate times when they will get to be on their device, you know, and check in with friends. And for younger kids, I think it, um, having them be a part of creating the space, you know, maybe they get some new supplies, maybe they hang artwork, maybe they name their remote learning space and put a sign up um, and try to make it fun for them. Um, I also just think in general, it's really important to preview with kids, you know, what's going to be the same and what's going to be different. And there's some really key things about school that will be the same in terms of challenging themselves and trying new things. And the first day of school jitters, you know, all of that will still be the same. Um, for kids, I think the most the, mo the thing they'll feel the most different about is, is not being able to see their friends. Um, and so maybe brainstorm with them some ways that they can still feel connected to them. Um, I think the, another thing that's really important that we can do is just prepare them that while we might be starting remote, we might be on campus soon. Um, once we're on campus, we, we, it's really unpredictable. We, know, we don't know. We might have to go back into a remote learning at some point. And it's just really important for us to reassure them that even though our physical environment might change, um, that we're making these choices just to keep everybody safe. Um, and I think the most important thing that we can do to set the kids up for success uh, really is just let them know that no matter how they're feeling, whether they're excited about remote learning or disappointed about it, that it's normal. You know, it's okay, whatever their reaction might be and be good listeners. That's helpful. And that, that, you, that advice is advice that I've been um, giving to myself and to my own children, uh, right? I think that, 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 that's obviously important for all of us is like trying to know that how we're feeling is, is normal and okay. And that it's, and then what, you know, what do we do to, to um, manage that? Yeah. So you mentioned, and, and this is an important one, that, that likely we will be transitioning onto campus. You know, that is certainly our, our hope and our intention is to, is to move to in-person learning for families who choose that. Um, in the next few weeks as we uh, receive the waiver from or hope to receive a waiver from the county. So before, I, I'm going to give you a chance to talk about that, Jenna, but before we do that, Co Colleen, maybe you can just talk a little bit about what are some of the structures that we will be putting into place for children? Because clearly in-person learning this year will not look like a normal year of in-person learning. And, and so on top of all the other things that, that we manage in schools, it will feel different based on what it looks like. So can you talk a little bit about what, what will yeah. be in place for campus? Absolutely. Um, some of the most significant shifts that children will notice out of the gate are, are the requirement that um, everyone's wearing masks at school. Um, and you know, for many of us, the, 
the thought and act of wearing masks for large chunks at a time was was really difficult when we had to start doing it. Um, and also over time has become has become easier, particularly as we understand the purpose and significance and value behind it. Um, we'll also be having some really structured drop off and arrival times, both at shuttles and on campus in order to um, have the health screenings. And so children needing to take their temperatures in the morning and um, uh, check in with someone at a shuttle stop or at school before um, before joining the community is going to be new as well. Um, additionally, the final two things are, are the stable cohorts um, and the, the physical distancing, those both being um, components of the school day, particularly at Hillbrook, um, that are going to feel really new to children. Um, children, if they've been at Hillbrook or most school settings for a period of time, they're accustomed to moving to lots of different spaces and seeing lots of different people, whether those are other children or adults, and, and that is going um, to be minimized for, for health and safety. Um, and so these are things that children likely aren't used to, but that um, all of the adults on campus are prepared to support them through. Um, and we've worked with children through the transition back to in-person learning and experiences during our summer programs. Um, and one of the things that we learned in that process is that children are so hungry and eager to be back with one another um, that they adapt really quickly and they continue to adapt really quickly when, um, as Jenna was naming before, when the adults around them, whether those adults are parents or teachers, put those predictable routines in place and project that non-anxious presence that reassures children that even when things are different and are unfamiliar, um, that they're okay and that they have the skills um, to learn a new a new way of being in the Hillbrook environment. Thanks, Colleen. And you know, so Jenna, with with some of those structures in mind, and um, I suspect that there are a number of our families, and Colleen, you've named this a little bit, who are experiencing their own higher than normal anxiety about having their children enter that space, and of course, that's for a whole host of reasons. So what advice, Jenna, do you have for parents as, the, as, they're, as we're looking ahead and both now, but also then when we get to this moment of returning to campus um, to help them prepare for their children uh, being on, on a, the campus in this COVID-19 environment? Yeah. Um, well, first, um, and I think maybe most importantly, it's okay not to have all the answers. Um, and I think that being honest with your kids about that is really important because we've never done this before. Um, and we don't we don't know what it's what it's going to feel like. Um, I know on our end at Hillbrook, we've done a lot of planning, um, and even with all that planning in place, we just don't know what it's going to feel like. And so, being honest with your kids and not sort of sugarcoating over that is okay. That teaches them, you know, they have permission to feel anxious about the unknown, and it's normal to feel that way. Um, having said that, there are some things that we can do to sort of prepare them for that change in the physical experience of being on campus with mask wearing and distancing from friends and teachers. For example, you know, if your child isn't used to wearing a mask for six to seven hours at a time, um, practicing wearing a mask at home, not just for the physical comfort of it, but also um, it's different to socialize with someone when you can't see their whole face. Um, and it might be it might be some good practice for them. Um, if you have a child that has some sensory issues around mask wearing, it might be helpful to try doing it like 30 minute blocks of time during an activity that they really enjoy. Um, another change is going to be, you know, the distance that we're trying to keep um, between one another, especially, you know, when we see people that we're familiar with and comfortable with your instinct as humans is to be close to them. 
Um, and that, that might feel unnatural and, and talking to your kids about that and, and letting them know that, you know, you feel that too. Um, and maybe just brainstorming some ways that they can feel connected to their friends um, without being up close. So possible games they could play at recess. And for middle schoolers, you know, like how can you hang out without being in like a small huddle and in a way that, that follows the guidelines of school? Yeah, that, that's a helpful one. I, it strikes me, I have been surprised by how hard it has been for me in those moments. You, you know, you see somebody you haven't seen in a long time. So we've had some students around campus over the last few days as they've been picking up supplies. And, and it's that initial reaction of you want to run over and high five them, give them a hug. And all of a sudden you realize you can't do that. So I, so I think naming that for kids, right, is really important. And to, I love that. I, also naming it that it's real for us too as adults. And, and speaking of that, um, you know, we're talking a lot about how parents can support children, but clearly anxiety is high for all of us right now as, as we're navigating uncertain, unpredictable times. So can you talk a bit more about stress management for both children and adults in this moment? Yeah, I think that's sort of the big issue right now, right? I mean, stress is really high. And now with the wildfires, it's sort of added a whole other layer of stress in our lives right now. Um, I think, you know, specifically for kids, it's just, it's really important to normalize that anxiety and the physical sensations that come along with it. I mean, that is what their body is supposed to do when they feel nervous. Um, and when you encounter stress, you're supposed to feel that in your body. Um, I think when we can't, when we don't have predictability in the world, we try to give, um, kids some choice and some control, um, when we can uh, it gives them a sense of security. So um, offering them, you know, they can come up with dinner ideas or decide the space that they want to work in. Um, maybe they decide on the order that they want to complete assignments or if they do sh- chores at home, maybe they get to pick the chore that week, um, choose when they can socialize with their friends and how they might do it. Um, that that will make make them feel like they have a bit more control in their lives. Um, but I think the biggest predictor of how kids will manage stress is how we as parents manage our stress because they really take their emotional cues from us. So if you think of yourself as the driver and they're the passengers in your car, that might be helpful. Um, so, you know, it's not easy to do, but to try to think about like, what are the things that you're doing to care for yourself? You know, when you're in a situation with your kid that gets you very frustrated, um, you know, are you using strategies like walking away and coming back when you're more calm? Um, and even just, you know, as, as adults, just, can we take breaks from social media and the news to give ourselves, um, a break? Anxiety is, is real, um, And in psychology, you know, when you talk about anxiety, you're really referring to the physiological changes in the body when when you're confronted with danger, whether it's a real danger um, or, um, you know, like a fear of something that that may not actually hurt you. Right now in the world, we have some real dangers. Um, And I and I also think that it's important to talk about trauma, because I think when we talk about trauma, most of us sort of um, conjure up this idea of like one really horrible um, event, but also trauma can be sort of prolonged exposure to stress. And at this particular moment in time, um, I think both of uh, anxiety and trauma are things that we need to consider, both for our kids and and for ourselves. Um, Both are sort of housed in the body. You can't really have trauma or anxiety without that physical component. So working with kids to kind of pair their physical sensations with how they might be feeling is important. So um, you know, if, if you're observing something in your child, you could say like, oh, I noticed that your knee starts to hurt. 
you know, every day before school, might you be feeling nervous? Um, and to start to do that so they can start to internalize that a little bit. Um, I, what we know about trauma in kids is that um, they really need to feel safe and seen and cared about in order to learn and develop. And these have to be the priorities um, above everything else. Um, so I think having that in the back of your mind is really helpful. There's, um, there's a psychiatrist named Dan Siegel, um, and he he's a, focuses on neurobiology. And he has this visual that he talks about called the river of well-being. So you imagine that you're a person just flowing down the river of well-being and you're feeling stable and flexible and coherent. You can adapt easily. But on one side of the riverbank, you can picture the word rigidity. And on the other side is chaos. And he says that when life is stressful, you know, we tend to either drift to one one of those riverbanks, rigidity or chaos. So your, you know, your type A planners might become more rigid or inflexible and they need to put real structure into place um, when they come up against uncertainty. And then you have the people that tend to, to drift towards chaos. They might find maladaptive ways to sort of numb, uh, lean more towards unpredictable and unstable ways of coping. So for me, I, I like to think about that image um, and you could imagine yourself or your children and, and what patterns do you tend to have? Um, and Dan Siegel argues that, you know, when we're mindful and we sort of accept and have awareness of the present moment, um, that allows us to, to go back into the middle of the river um, and become more flexible and stable. A- Jenna, you mentioned, oh, go ahead, Mark. <laughs> you mentioned a little bit about how, um, anxiety and trauma can be housed in the body. Um, and I think as adults, you know, I certainly know or have learned over time to name the, the feeling when I'm starting to feel certain physical symptoms, but kids don't always have that skill set, right? They don't necessarily know the emotional language to give us as adults to cue us to what they need, but they use a lot of other types of language to tell us the ways that they're feeling. Can you talk a little bit about how anxiety or trauma might show up for kids in the ways that they behave so that we can pay attention to those signals? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, I mean, kids don't often have the language to express how they're feeling. Um, And so for younger kids, you do often see them um, complain of physical ailments. You might just see a change in behavior. They might have a change in eating or sleeping. Um, They might be a bit more restless. Um, They might have trouble focusing. Um, You might see um, sort of lethargic Uh, lack of motivation. Um, A lot of, um, uh, you know, when you ask them to follow directions, um, they may not um, comply, um, those kinds of things. I think if you start seeing um, a a lot of like loss in sleep and loss of appetite, that might be a good time to try to talk to somebody about it and maybe bring it up Mm -hmm. with a pediatrician. But other than that, um, it's pretty normal for kids to do that. And, And typically when you can name it for them, um, and, and say, you know, can I guess what it is you might be feeling? They're, they're pretty willing to have conversations. In teens, mm-hmm. it can be a, a bit more um, uh, difficult to, f- to figure out since um, they can be a bit moody anyway, developmentally. Um, but again, any kind of change in behavior for, you know, an overly talkative kid to, to sort of become a little bit more reserved, um, things like that to kind of pay attention to. Thank you. I also was thinking about um, how at school we often, um, you know, when a child is showing certain behaviors or a, a change in behavior, um, you mentioned the um, the moments where they'll refuse to do something. Um, 
and we are always asking ourselves in those moments as educators, is this a, a can't moment or a won't moment? <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Is this a moment where a child just won't do something because they're 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 being stubborn or they're um, refusing and they and they do have the capacity to do it, or is it showing up like that? But it's really that they can't. Do you have any advice for parents about learning and understanding the difference between can't moments and won't moments and threading that needle? Yeah. So um, I I tend so uh, under times of stress I would lean more towards can't um, because you right. when you when someone is under stress their um, capabilities even their um, and in heightened emotional moment, even your IQ drops, I think like 40 points or something. So um, during times of high stress, I would assume that if kids are not complying with directions um, or with schoolwork or, or whatever it may be, that um, it's likely that they can't. Um, and and it, that could that's probably not true all the time, of course, but it's probably better to sort of like err on, the, on that side than the other. Um, and... I think that um, as long as we can show compassion um, and and warmth in those moments, um, that's really the most important thing right now, um, rather than, you know, putting in some kind of reinforcement or punishment. Um, what, what kids really need often when they're not complying is they need more warmth um, from us, which sometimes as parents, I think, um, is sort of the opposite of what, what our instinct is in the moment. Thanks. That's really helpful. So um, thank you both. This has been incredibly helpful. And b- but before I, I end, I, I did want to actually throw a question towards you, Colleen, because it occurs to me, sure. Jenna is obviously a, a resource for families and for children and for teachers. What other resources as, as parents are, um, you know, over the course of this year, mm-hmm. trying to help support their children and, and work with the school, can you just speak quickly to kind of like what, what might be other pathways that parents might consider in addition to, to and again, Jenna's people are always welcome to reach out to Jenna and of course. what are some of the other pathways they might follow if they're in one of these moments where they're trying to help their child and they're just not sure what to do? Yeah. Um, yeah the first place I would always start um, as a parent is reaching out to your child's homeroom teachers. Um, they're going to be the ones who know your child best, who understand their patterns and their behaviors. Um you know, as we're starting with distance learning, whether those behaviors are online or whether they're offline um, and in person. Um, in addition, we have a learning support team at Hillbrook. So Ann King is our director of learning support, um, and she can be really helpful, particularly if you're noticing some um, behaviors around um, concrete learning tasks, that if you're noticing a shift or you're starting to see your child is um, struggling with a particular area, Ann King would be a great person to reach out to. Um, she works very closely with Michelle Richards, who is one of our learning specialists, who um, has a lot of experience supporting students with both um, uh, academic growth, but also in their social emotional development as well. Um, and I'm sure that um, all of you listening will have the chance to enjoy some of the videos that she makes um, supporting children as they learn to identify and regulate their emotions. Um, she's she's a wizard with her with her videos, so you will enjoy them as well. Um, and then the other two you know key resources I would point people to are um, Kelly Scolton, who is our new associate head of lower school, um, will be heavily involved with um, the ongoing growth and support of our lower school program for teachers and students this year. Um, and then, of course, you are 
anyone's always welcome to reach out to me um, or Amy Hand, the head of middle school as well, um, in order to get support for the questions that are on your mind. We would so much rather hear from you early um, rather than you waiting until something feels too big. Uh, we will find time to talk with you. We will find time to connect. Right now, in particular, um, the, the the conversations can't be actually in person. Having the chance to talk on the phone or on on video is um, is so critical to continuing to navigate this together. Um, as Jenna named earlier in the conversation, none of us have done this before. You know, we have some ideas, and you know, we at the school have some background and expertise in children and child development to offer. But this is a really new moment. Um, and so please reach out to whoever you feel most comfortable asking your questions to, to get the support that you need as an adult as well. Yeah, I'd say also, especially as parents, I mean, we've never navigated this experience. We probably never spent so much time with our own children before. Um, and it's exhausting and stressful and, and it's also really wonderful. So there's a lot there on both sides. Um, but, but reach out because there's no one expects you to know how to do this. Thank you both. And and as, as I think is also clear, hopefully to everybody, we are so excited to have children and families returning for the 2021 school year. Yes. And while, um, you know, we know that it may ha- be unpredictable the way the school year plays out. We do know that the school's commitment to our vision and mission and, and the just the joy that it brings us working with your children day in and day out does not change. And so, um, we look forward to connecting with people. Uh, I did want to invite families. Um, I, I will be the podcast will be happening every few weeks throughout the year. I always welcome um, questions or feedback to podcasts, in particular for this one. If there, if people have specific questions for Jenna or for Colleen that you wish I had asked or you wish they had been asked, um, please let me know, and, and we can certainly do a, a follow up session and, and bring them on. I mean, there, there's no year will it be more important to have people helping us um, navigate the complexities, not only for our children, but for ourselves. So um, again, thank you for joining us. And um, we look forward to a fabulous 2021 school year. You've been listening to Remarks and Reflections, a podcast of Hillbrook School. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. You can also find the Remarks and Reflections blog post at hillbrook.us another space where we are looking to connect with and engage members of our community in conversations important to our school, education, and parenting. And as always, you can find our school on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and of course, our website at hillbrook.org. Thanks for listening. Have a great week and be your best.